Welcome to the 94th episode of the Loose Threads podcast, a show about the rapidly changing consumer economy. This episode is brought to you by Loose Threads membership, which gives you actionable analysis, insights, and events that drive growth, and Loose Threads Espresso, your energizing and high-pressure filter for consumer news and context. We also have a newsletter that features the latest analysis of the consumer economy from Loose Threads. Check it all out at loosethreads.com. Joining me today is Carmen Tal, a co-founder of Moroccan Oil, a hair care treatment she popularized after using what was then a product from a small Israeli business to fix her own damaged hair. Unfortunately, today, hair suffers a lot because of the diet, because of the environmental factors, all kinds of things. And the trends are changing, so people have different needs to style the hair. You know, it's very dynamic. Carmen realized that she hit on something when her own hairdresser was using the product for many other clients, even though it was only intended to be used on her. She and her then-husband got the distribution rights to the product and brought it to North America. They eventually bought the whole company in order to scale it globally, using traditional distribution methods that are often derided today. Here's my talk with Carmen Tall. So why don't we start just talk a bit about your background in terms of what you were doing before Moroccan oil? Yes. And then we can talk about Moroccan oil. So after the school, I moved to Canada. I moved to Montreal to learn English. And well, I obviously learned English and French because I decided to go to Montreal, which is a bilingual city. Lucky for me. While I was there, I married someone and I stayed. So I started working. I went into fashion, I started in sales, and I became a buyer and the manager for the flagship store of Liz Claiborne. And it was an incredible experience, and I was in the fashion industry for about 15 years. Time passes so fast that I forget. After that, I divorced my first husband, I married my second husband, and I had three children with him. At that period of time, I stopped working for about uh, 10 years I did not work. I decided to be a full-time mother. Fantastic experience. But of course, after a while, especially when you have worked and studied all your life, it's not enough to become just a mother. For those things in life, I met this hairdresser that used to do my hair near the neighborhood where I live. And he needed some investment to open a little salon in that neighborhood. And I thought it was an incredible opportunity for me because it was near my house. It wasn't a restricted schedule. I could work whatever I wanted. But of course, it doesn't work as you planned. What happened is that it was a really full-time job because you have to manage purchases and clients and hairdressers as a big job. So I started that venture. It wasn't an easy one because I'm not a hairdresser. I did not come yeah. from the industry. And it was challenging, but I learned so much. I mean, I think everything that I've learned, little I knew that it was in preparation for this big adventure that mm -hmm. was coming, which is the Moroccan oil. Yeah. What were some of the big surprises you were learning? The big surprises is that it's hard to find talented headdresses, particularly if you're going to be working in a neighborhood where clients are demanding and they know what they want. That was one of the biggest challenges. Back then, for some reason, all the hairdressers were not that into their jobs. You know, they used to take it easy so they wouldn't come to work or all kinds of little things that weren't, you know, <laughs> of my liking. Yeah. Sometimes a little 
stealing here and there, whether it's time, whether it's products, and it's just like frustrating because you know you come from a world of trust and it just doesn't happen all the time. Mm -hmm. So that was challenging. It wasn't challenging to get clients. It wasn't challenging to sell products. It was mostly the people working with you. Okay, so you now have the salon that you're helping run and then kind of bridge the story into how Moroccan oil starts to begin. You know, I'm a true believer that everything that happens to you is for the reason, for the purpose. I mean, sounds a little bit cheesy, but it is what it is. I mean, I truly believe that, you know, the universe sends you things and for you to do something with them. So while I was in the salon, one of the headdressers who was very experienced and all the time did a phenomenal job, dyed my hair and did a horrible job. Horrible. You know, I usually my head is kind of like honey, little highlights, brown, never too dark. And that's the way I like it. I'm very specific for my hair. So first they left it very orange. And I went like, oh, my God. So she said, I'm sorry. I don't know what happened, overexposure, whatever. You know, I said, but how do we fix this? So to fix it, they put a semi-permanent color that made it very black. And, of course, you know, the hair becomes very dry and dehydrated and in a horrible condition. I was very frustrated. So I went to see another colorist to see, can we do something? Because I wasn't ready to cut my hair. I had a wedding to attend in Israel. I had my whole wardrobe plan around my hair. (laughs) So it was, like, so frustrating. So when I was in Israel, my sister-in-law took me to a salon to do my hair for the wedding. So the stylist then introduced to me what is today the Moroccan oil treatment. It transformed my hair in ways that I've never seen. And I was used to using products. I knew what good products would do to the hair. But this was incredibly transformative. I mean, it was like, what is this? First of all, it smelled incredible and left the hair soft and manageable. And I never thought that was something like it could be possible. You know, I didn't think much of it. So when I left the salon, he said, take a bottle with you to Canada. And when you do your hair, tell the hairdresser to apply it, you know, the same way I did it. He gave me the instructions. So I come back home. I take two little bottles. In the meantime, I'm looking at the bottles and I'm smelling the product. I'm just using it every day because I was in love with it. And I get back home. I give it to my hairdresser to keep it so every time I do my hair, you know, they can use it in my hair. A week passed by. I got to the salon and the bottle is half empty. And I said, what happens? He said, listen, this is such an incredible product. It makes my life so easy. And he started, like, selling me the product. And I said, oh, really? So then I start thinking, you know, this could be a good opportunity for me to do something with this. So I talked to my husband and I said, can you talk to the people in Israel to see if we can have the distribution for Montreal? I would like to do it. So he wasn't very interested in doing business with me because the salon business wasn't doing that well. It was so... The uh, thing in front of you wasn't right. going. So I asked him, can you please, can you please, can you please... I don't speak Hebrews. Otherwise, I would have picked up the phone <laughs> and you never know if they do speak or not. And I sold the salon in the meantime. So one day he needed to go to Israel for something else. And I said, could you please, 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 just like if you have a minute, go to see the people. So he went to see the people and he's an incredible businessman. He immediately saw the opportunity. He interviewed a couple of salons in Tel Aviv and all these salons were 
preferring to work with this product to more recognized brands in the market. So he came back and he told me, okay, we had the distribution for North America. What are you going to do now? And I go, oh, <laughs> I said Montreal. <laughs> so that was the beginning. And I feel that we were given an incredible opportunity. And I think we took it and made it work, even without knowing where we're getting into it. And somehow, I think at times that that was the best thing that happened. Because sometimes when you know too much, <laughs> you fear more. Mm -hmm. When you don't know and you're given something that it needs to happen, you go for it and you do everything possible to make it work. Yep. Because you believe, you are in love with it, and almost like adrenaline is driving you to just look at the positive things and go for it. So when you found the product, it was a different brand, or what was it called then? Back then, it had a horrible name. I think it was called Praxis. Okay. And you said, what does Very it medical mean? sounding. Exactly. The bottle was the same. The label was different. The product was about 90% the same. We just tweaked the fragrance, the texture of the product itself, but it was pretty much gotcha. the same product. The first thing we did is change the name, change the label, and get a marketing strategy and a sales strategy. That was the first thing that we did. We had one product. It wasn't that we had a brand or a line of product. It was just one product. Before you came along, it, was it just a local Israeli kind of under the radar brand that only hairdressers and some kind of select people knew about? It, it, was, it had a small reach, it seems, no? Yes. It was what we would call here a basement, a garage kind of operation. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, very small. There was a chemist behind, there was a hairdresser and a businessman behind. Huh. And I think it was mostly this chemist person who had an ability to create beautiful products. Even afterwards, he created a couple of very good products for us. And then the business people that saw something good and they were selling it door to door pretty much <laughs> in Tel Aviv and then a little bit outside of Tel Aviv. Israel is a small country. So that it was like probably, you know, like a small business. Yeah, nothing much. Gotcha. Right. Very cool. Okay, so then you and your husband come along, you get the rights for North America, and then you said the first thing you did was try to figure out how to market it and kind right. of change the name. Right. Where did the name come from and kind of how did you come up with it? And then how did you start to think about the marketing since you only had a product, not a brand? The name was, it just came. We were looking at other brands and, you know, some brands are called by the name of a hairdresser because they're inspired by a person who believed in something and, and other brands have just a clinical name. So we went over and over how people used to refer to the product in Israel. So when you went to a salon, they would say, I'm going to use oil of Morocco. They call it oil of Morocco. Like the translation would sound like the oil of Morocco. Mm. So we started calling it Moroccan oil, like two words. So one day, my husband and I are talking and I said, we said, I never like to take credit. <laughs> we said, but you know, Moroccan oil sounds really good. Like, you know, like in one word and it's just like strong and exotic and kind of I like it. And then you say it, you know, a couple of times and then go for it. So that was it. Gotcha. So, so, so it was the nickname almost of the yeah, product. Yeah, it was almost the nickname. It's yeah. like you say Q-tip, you know, yep. and then the brand comes yep. by, you know. So it was a little we knew that it was going to be like a, inspiration for a lot of other brands. Yeah. <laughs> Practically, we created that category. 
of the argon infused. We didn't have a marketing strategy immediately. So first we had a kind of a combination of marketing sell strategy that was similar to what were they doing in Israel. They would take a sample because, you know, we believe that the best way to promote a product is trying it. And this product is very sensorial. You know, you smell it and you feel incredible. Then you put it in your hair and it just feels incredible. And it's a beautiful bottle. So it is very sensorial, I find. So the moment the hairdresser puts it in the head and the consumer smells it, it's just a whole experience. So it's impossible that you're not going to like it. So what we did is, at the time, you know, I had two friends of mine who were not working then. And I said, listen, I'm doing this. And I wondered if you'd be interested in selling it. And this is my strategy. So it was very organic at the beginning. So what I did, I Googled how many salons are there in Montreal. So I pretty much divided the city in two, the east and the west. And so one girl would do the east, the other girl would do the west. And downtown, we did half and a half because it would be unfair to just, you know, west is different than the east. So they went door to door downtown. And they were very excited because, you know, when you start something from scratch and you're part of it and you're making a change and they're part of the change, people like that. So the adrenaline mm -hmm. was so high every day that we went to work and every day we discovered something different, something new. And in a matter of about two, three weeks, people started calling, asking for the product and we were like, you know, music ringing. <laughs> it was like an amazing experience. So we started selling them. You know, first could be one bottle, then we decided, you know, we cannot break the box and it would be by six. And, and it was just going and going and going. And it was like, wow. So my husband decided that we would go to a trade show in New York. So this was January and the show would be in February. And we had no time to do anything. So he pretty much tells me, we're going to a trade show, so you need to create a booth. And I go, and what's a booth? <laughs> I mean, that's how ignorant I was about the whole thing. So we created this most beautiful booth, really beautiful. <laughs> we wanted to give it a modern Moroccan feel. It wasn't just the Moroccan with the heavy colors. It was more like the white Mediterranean feel of things. And people are attracted to beauty. We were selling beauty, and lucky enough, we know this beautiful headdresses that were physically beautiful, spiritually beautiful. They were incredible people that are still with us to this day. And so we took this army of talented, beautiful people to the booth. And we were in the back of the trade show where all the knickknacks people are. So we weren't with big brands because we were no one. <laughs> And suddenly, you know, people started coming because, again, beauty is attractive. So we had one product. So we had to merchandise one product. We needed to make it pop. And we were busy. And I remember that we started selling. And we didn't think that we would possibly sell anything. And that was it. I signed the first distributor for New Jersey. And after that, distributors came in, like, Every day, people knocking at the door, and we were like, what is happening, you know? <laughs> so it was very busy for the first five years building the brand. When I look back, I'm amazed as to, with so little, we did so much. And I think, again, 
the beauty is that we were so much in love with this brand, so much in love with the product. It was such a spectacular product that did half of the mm -hmm. job. And then knowing so much, I think, again, helped us a lot because you just go for it. It's interesting. So a lot of new companies today will launch with a single product and then they'll sell it for a few years and then they'll start adding a lot of other products. Other brands will start with a bunch of products and then try to figure out what works. Was it somehow focusing or freeing for you to only have one thing to sell versus having all these different things that you had to try to get people to pay attention to? I don't think we even thought about that. I think it just, we got this one product that we needed to do something with it. So the brand had three other products in Israel, but in order to bring them registration, the FDA regulations, so there's a lot of things that you have to consider before bringing them in. So we did a little bit of marketing research, what would be the next product? To, it's inevitable that when you like something, the consumer wants to have more of it. It's just human nature, you know? If something is good, you want more of it. And the benefits of the argan oils are incredible. The fragrance is fantastic, so people wanted more. Honestly, it's not that, was it better to do more? We just had one, right. and we <laughs> built around it. If you ask me today, I think it's better to have less than more. But if somebody has a concept that requires 10 or more products, it's a concept. That's a different story. Okay, so you start this in 2009 into kind of 2010. It's starting to really take off and so forth. So I assume, were you ordering inventory from Israel? Right. What did they think seeing this thing start to go? Okay, so first of all, after coming to the trade show, we figured that that company wasn't able to supply for us. I mean, the demand was too large for the little garage. <laughs> so we decided to buy the company and open a factory to create more products. So we bought the rights, we bought the company, and we built manufacture in the north of Israel. That was the year after. Some of the people stayed in the company as consultants, as one of them actually was our CEO for a period of 10 years almost. Before, you didn't have to manufacture, right? You would just place the orders. Now you have a factory and that and so forth. What sort of lessons did you learn after you took over that operation? Because it's a lot more work. From doing everything, what you learn again is better control. You learn mm -hmm. from when you start the initial idea of a product to when the product is finished. You know, it takes a lot more. As when you just ordered a product right. from a contract manufacturer, it's like, oh, I would like to have like a head spray. And you just give them your thoughts of the head spray and they do it for you. When you manufacture, you're all the way involved from the one drop of this and in what the size, what's the package, you know, how's it going to be shipped? And it's much better. You mentioned before that kind of the opening into the product was letting people try it. And that once they try it, once a hairdresser uses it with them, they generally have a very good reaction. From a marketing perspective, did you have a message, so to speak? Or how did you talk about the brand? Or was it just like, hey, just try this, trust us, it'll be good? We created a pamphlet, like mm -hmm. a flyer, like a small little piece of paper with information, what the product would do and what it contained. But mostly the marketing strategy was, I'm going to give you this, try it. This is the way you use it. We used to put it in the palm of the hand and just smell it. And of course, people reacted immediately, you know, to the sensorial. And we said, let us know how you like it. It was pretty much very organic. 
not pushing. I'm not going to give you a price. I'm not going to tell you anything. And if you want more information, here's a little bit more information. And the phone number is there. Give us a call. That was pretty much everything. A very relaxed sale. Very relaxed, very relaxed. Was it nice to not have to yell and scream about how good it was or that you had to use it because people would just start reacting? I think everything should be like that. You know, I believe that when there is a good product, you recognize it right away as a consumer. So brands don't need to scream, buy me. Particularly when it comes to beauty, especially today at the time that we launched the brand, social media wasn't there. So it was more word of mouth. It was more putting the product in the hands of the right people that could talk about it. And then, of course, we had a PR agency that helped us a little bit more. We did a lot of education. It was a little bit more work. Today, you know, we launch a product. We have the influencers, the bloggers, the social (laughs) media. It got faster. Nevertheless, lucky for us that we have already cemented the reputation of the brand so we don't have to work as hard as knocking doors, mm-hmm. you know, like now it's a hundred doors <laughs> instead of one door. <laughs> right. Do you prefer it now or then? I cannot compare yeah. because I'm older and I'm not much into the social media kind of arena. I'm learning and I think it's just an incredible tool. Like, oh, my God, it's just like it opens so many doors. I like the old-fashioned way of doing things. I like the human contact. I like shopping in a store. I like having the conversation with somebody about something. I think both have good and bad. Today, we manage to do both. We still have people in the field. We have educators that touch people one-on-one. And we have an incredible social media platform that touches a lot of people these kind of conversations that also bring us, you know, more followers. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's one against the other. I think both had a good thing. And I think my personal opinion is changes are good. I think you have to embrace changes and learn about the changes and get in the wagon. Otherwise, you know, you're going to miss your momentum. (laughs) Absolutely. So I guess in 2010, 2011, it sounds like the business is working quite well. Were you surprised that it was going as fast as it was going? Uh, You know, it's hard to answer that question. I'll tell you why. First of all, unfortunately, my marriage didn't work. It wasn't because of work. It was other issues. I was so busy in between moving to New York, in between my divorce, in between young children that you have to take care of, that I didn't even grab that momentum of oh we are successful you know there was so much work to be done i used to be very hands-on when it came to education even meeting distributors to talk about the brand i think it's only recently that i when i walk around even in other countries and i see the brand so well positioned in beautiful salons that i feel very happy and blessed and like wow we did it you know (laughs) it's like a very good feeling at what point did you start to go intern like outside of North America? Because now the brand is available globally. But at what point did you start to say, okay, we should start selling in other countries besides USA and Canada? Funny enough, we were one of those brands that were approached. So when we had a trade show, let's say in Las Vegas, which is like more international trade show, we had distributors coming from other countries asking us to have the representation for their countries. So we were very lucky that way. So the first country that came on board was the UK, and they came to us. It was like, 
oh, you know, this is a different ball game. You know, this is completely different. Now you have different regulations, different marketing strategies. It changes. So we've been changing. All the time we change. Yeah. <laughs> we have to accommodate to the needs constantly, you know, from employees to divisions to anything. So today, as I'm sure you know, a lot of brands launch on the Internet and they say, we'll never sell through wholesale. We'll never open retail. We'll never work through distributors. And they only do it through their website. It sounds like the distributors were crucial to Moroccan oil success and growth and so forth. If you were to launch the brand again today from scratch, would you do it the same way you did or would you try only selling online or something like that? 100% the same way. I would go with the distribution. Distributors do an amazing job because they have the relationship with the hairdresser. Again, I believe that the experiential, the sensorial, the touching things, it's so important. I think the first impression is what counts. So online you're going to see, but you're not going to feel, you're not going to smell unless you already know about this. But for the first time, I want this hairdresser to tell me about it. And then I make the decision where to buy it. Hopefully it will be available somewhere else. So what year did you start selling online? I think about two, three years ago. Okay, so more recently. Very recently, yeah. We thought about it really well. We respect the hairdressers. We want to make sure they have their business intact. We don't want to disrupt too much. But again, you have to be ready for the changes. The consumer wants to buy a product. The consumer already knows your product. She doesn't necessarily go to the salon, so she needs to be able to find it wherever she wants to find it. Are people going to salons less now? I wouldn't say that, but I think, you know, you have the younger generation that are very product savvy, and they hear it from the mothers, and they hear from a friend that goes to the salon. Or they go one time to the salon, but they're not going to go again until another five months to cut their hair, you know? So they're different type of clients, so you have to... Right, be where they 100%. want, yeah. So I guess in to like 2012, 2013, 2014, what are you kind of focused on in terms of what are your priorities for the business as it is three, four, five years old at this point? Well, first of all, we made a lot of changes in terms of administration, the management, how we were running the company, as how we were running the company a few years. I mean, we moved to New York to run everything that has to do with education, marketing, and PR for several reasons. First of all, you'll find more talent in New York, and it's a city so alive, and, you know, to being a client to New York, it has a lot more weight. Yeah. And then, you know, we kept the office in Israel, we kept the offices in Montreal. So most of that organizational part was very important in the growth. And we continue doing that. We started with an office with three people in New York. Now we have about 60 people and we have three floors Mm -hmm. and we have an academy that is constantly busy with education. Israel, we had one small factory. Now we took the other side of the factory the office moved to a bigger building because also they have about 40 people working there just in the offices. So it's very dynamic. Mm -hmm. Did things change from a sales perspective? It's always changing. You know, you have to understand that we built everything from scratch. So there was no marketing division. It was pretty much myself and somebody else trying to figure it out. What do we do next? So then we built marketing in the New York office. We built 
PR, we built education, we built social, we built e-commerce, we were building and we continue building. It's just a never ending because you just grow, you yep. know, and it's a beautiful opportunity. I mean, I'm glad to say that we are expanding always. Talk a bit about the evolution of the educational piece in terms of it sounds like it was something you focused on a lot in the beginning, but then as it went on, you formalized it into the academy. But I'm curious to hear about kind of the journey of how that developed. At the beginning, you educate the pretty much the distributors on the product itself. And the distributors would educate salons, their salespeople. Then eventually we had more products. We needed to include more education that catered to stylists. So we'd have classes in the distributors academies or offices or we would just take a space and get 200 headdresses in one space so then we decided to have an academy to teach classes because you know a lot of hairdressers go to beauty school or they learn on their own because the family business and they learn from very young but the hairdressing industry has evolved a lot and there are different techniques different tools there are different ways to do hair we want to encourage these people to continue growing. So the academy at this moment creates a lot of curriculum for different skill sets of mm -hmm. hairdresser, and that's what we provide. So almost like a school, and we take people from all over the world. We work with sales and the distributors, so we sell the classes. And people love coming to New York, and imagine somebody from Chile, and they send five people and somebody from Peru, another five. So we get a class of 20 people from South America or Korea, you know, like it's fun. <laughs> so at what point did you introduce the second product? What was it and how was it received? The second product is still there, the same product <laughs> and it sells amazing and it's a wonderful product called Hydrating Styling Cream. It's just a styling product that again, the same benefits. It conditions the hair, helps you to style easier. It gives a little bit of hold. So if you want to have a curl, you know, it would hold the curl a little bit longer. And then we had a hydrating mask that is to hydrate the hair and to really give it that boost that the hair needs when it's abused. So those were very complementary products. So it was really nice to sell like a little package of three things. Now, I had more room to play in terms of marketing, you know, merchandising. At least you could play a little bit. So that was fun. And those three products to this day are our best sellers. Hmm. Why do you think that is? They were just like a products made with integrity. I mean, not that the others are <laughs> not. They're just like very real products, very simple products. That's all what pretty much you need. From a product development perspective, you now had three that were going well. Where did you go from there? Did you continue to develop more? Did you try to evolve the existing ones? And then how do you think about how to expand, if at all, on the product side? You know, we were very open to listen to the stylists out there. So we had, we called brand managers and educators that were in the field constantly. So we would always ask, you know, what else would you like to have? Why do you like these products? You know, it's the one-on-one. -on -one. The inevitable was to create a shampoo and a conditioner, you know, so then you have a full care category for your hair. So we created a shampoo and a conditioner and we kind of rested a little bit there. I think for about a year we had those five needs for the hair 
and then we started thinking, you know, what else are we going to bring? So you start bringing the basic, which are products that are very needed in a station. Very organic, very like one day at a time, but fast because you need to bring things in a matter of two years. You know, every product takes about in between two to three years to come to mm. the salon or to the retailer. It's a long process. And is that because of just time and regulations and... Everything. First of all, you need to experiment with the formulas. You need to test the formulas. You need to test the packaging. You need to test all kinds of things. And, you know, by the time you launch, two years pass by minimum. So it sounds like the ethos or the reality was you can't rush this so might as well make it perfect versus try to get something half good quickly absolutely i mean first of all we had three incredible products that were giving us sales and we were very financially stable we had the luxury of taking our time to think what's the next you know one of the best things that we did is that we split the load of work so my ex-husband took care of all the business operation part of it, and I was the one doing the creative. And we didn't bother each other. And I think that was great, because sometimes when you have too much, you know, we're very independent individuals, and we trust each other. We have always, even to this day, that even we're not married, I trust his sense of business, his judgment to do things, and his integrity as a businessman. And he does trust my taste and my ability to communicate to people and make the right decisions for the brand and that's been really instrumental to the growth absolutely because a lot of companies have this tension of like oh you know sales is the one driving marketing is the one driving i think one of the things that we have created in this company is that culture of working together as a team you know, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong for everyone. It's not just sales. It's not just product development. I always quote, you know, I remember I saw the movie in The Martian. I don't know if you saw yeah, it. Yeah. And I, it impressed me tremendously how people working as a team can achieve something so incredible big. So imagine we're just talking about products here. You know, we're just talking about selling something. So if they could achieve as a team rescuing this person it's fictional, but nevertheless, <laughs> it's the ability to work as a team. So you mentioned something before, which was as you develop the products, the focus was kind of filling out the station, you said, which I assume referred to the hairdresser station. What is it like developing a product and building a brand for almost two different groups of people, right? Because you have to please the hairdresser, but you also have to please the consumer at the end because if they don't use it, there's no point in that. Do you find that they wanted different things or needed different things or they had very similar aspirations or kind of things that they needed from it. I think they both have the same needs. I think hair has the same needs. One of the things that work for both is the easy of use. You know, when you have something uncomplicated that gives you results, it's good for the hairdresser, it's good for the consumer, pretty much. And everything from that point on was the base of creating the products that we have today. So then if we work our way up to the present, I guess, in terms of the last kind of two to three years, when did you know that you needed to launch e-commerce and kind of how did that go? And then what other priorities have there been for you in the last kind of few years? 
We thought about e-commerce for a long time. I think it took us about two years to make the decision. We consulted with our distributors to make sure that they would be okay with the decision. We created programs where people buying online would be directed to a salon near them. Like we did all kinds of things right. that were considered for the salon, not to disrupt the salon business. So it took us about two years and it was a business decision mainly. And again, thinking of the consumer wants to buy. We received so many phone calls every day before having the online on emails. Can I buy it online? And, uh, you know, some people live far away from a major city that has that, but, you know, they can get a product shipped to them. So it was a decision that it was inevitable to take. Did it actually improve the salon businesses and distributor businesses? It did not affect the business of the salon and in some instances helped the yeah. salon because, you know, people who started buying online, they go to the salon. Can I buy it? Can I use the product? So I think it's a good thing. Yep. It really was a good thing. You just have to make sure you do it right, you know, that you think it well, that what kind of e-commerce are you going to have? And then in terms of other priorities, what else were you spending time kind of focusing on in the last few years and even, even this year? Today, I focus mostly in product development and I work very close with the marketing department and the PR department and education. I continue doing the same, but I do less of the housekeeping as I call it. I do less of the doing it myself, you know. Now as the team, we come up with an idea, I sit with the right people and then we do a marketing research. Like it's done properly. <laughs> it's not so intuitive anymore, you know, and it has to feel right. First of all, most of the products that we create are created to address a need or uh, to address a problem. And unfortunately today, hair suffers a lot because of the diet, because of the environmental factors and all kinds of things. And the trends are changing. So people have different needs to style the hair. Color is changing. Like, you know, it's very dynamic. You said before that you really helped define the category as well in terms of a lot of the oil-based kind of hair treatments. Is that exciting? Is it funny to see all these other companies popping up trying to do similar things? How do you look at that part of it? You know, at the beginning, I don't know, sometimes I compare when somebody copies you, right? It's supposed to be a compliment because you look good or because, you know, whatever they like about you, but you don't like it somehow because it was your identity, it was your own thing. So I think it's the same with us, you know. Somehow it feels like a compliment, absolutely. But on the other hand, you have no idea the amount of lawsuits that we've had to be through, hmm. the amount of money unnecessary that we had to spend with lawyers trying to defend the brand from pouches, you know, yeah. uh, copying from the name, from the packaging, name it. It's just like a nightmare. I think in the past two years, it calmed down. And I think we solidified our name. And I don't think we need to fight as much for the space that we have. I think people know who we are. People go and shop for the brand for what it is and not like a copy. And it was very difficult, you know, very hard. That was a difficult part. Yeah, I guess it means you're doing something right, though. Right. But again, you know, it has a good and a yes. bad side, you know. But we have an incredible legal team. We had to have a legal team mm -hmm. in-house. and. The sad part is that all that money can go into right. development, right. it could go into better things, education, and then you have to spend it defending yourself. Right. But in a way, though, that also yeah. could, is money well used to defend what you've built. 100%. So did you sell the company or do you still 
you we, we still own the You still own it. Okay, yeah. so it's totally yours still. I think it's, uh, you know, you build a company, not to sell a company. You build a company because you believe in the company, in, in a brand, in the product. You know, people have approached to sell. I don't think it's the right time. We didn't think about it. We're having fun. And yeah. as long as you're having fun and, you know, you wake up in the morning and you're happy to go to work and why? Why change anything? Yeah. yeah. It's good. Do you have any retail stores of your own or no? No, we don't. Have you ever thought about that? We did, but we are very busy. I mean, one of my ideas is to have a flagship store, but we're too busy, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a good you problem. know, you have to, which one is more important, you know? And I think we'll wait. We have beautiful salons that they look like a flagship store, and we support those salons and those are our, you know, anchors yep. in the retail. What has been the cheapest and most expensive lesson you've learned building the company? The most expensive lesson is, again, I just told you. The that, Oh, my God. That was like, you know, the cheapest. I think it's giving the samples to the hairdressers one by one instead of spending tremendous amount of money in advertisement. So, in other words, the oldest, the cheapest way of advertisement, word of mouth. I would say those two. What are you most excited about looking into the next one, two, three years? Ah, oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, again, the beauty industry is very dynamic and it's changing a lot. One of the most exciting parts is the packaging, changing some of the packaging, all the future projects that we are thinking of is thinking of more environmentally friendly packages. We always had friendly ingredients, but I think more and more companies are moving towards that. Another part that we're very excited about it is education, which is giving back to the community in part because you're educating people. By educating people, people have a better life and everybody's happier and we have better communities everywhere. And I think that is alone very exciting, a lot of work and it's new, it's fresh. You have to constantly be thinking, you know, what's next. What do you think is the most misunderstood thing about the company or the product? I think the most understood was that oil is heavy and I wouldn't put it in my hair. Once you try it, you realize that what is this? It disappears and leaves the hair beautiful. And at the beginning, that was a little bit challenging to overcome. Mm -hmm. How did you end up just, again, people had to try it? Yeah. Once you try it, when you're in the treasures and you see how you use it and people say, oh, my God, you know, like this is amazing. Yeah. It's, you see, we still need people. Yeah. You need humans. <laughs> you need humans. You need the touch. You need the feel. You need to talk. It's, it's so contagious when you talk to somebody and especially when you love something so much. Besides launching e-commerce, is there anything that the internet and kind of where beauty and so forth is today that has changed the way you think about the business or you approach it? Social media, I think, is a big part that I think is growing for us. We are launching a blog that for us was very important. I think social media is expanding and is making a difference for us. And it's probably interesting also to see some of the hairstylists also have their own presence and they also have their own extensions as well that hopefully are helping the brand too. Yes, absolutely. I think education plays a big part in that social platform. We have the pro, which is the professional mm -hmm. site, and then we have the consumer. I noticed the biggest change, the biggest growth, and that we have to constantly be watching and, you know, what's next because it's so fast. 
And are the products now, are they all focused on hair or do they go into broader beauty as well? We have body and hair and sun care. And do you foresee that expanding or those will remain kind of the three focus areas? I think they have so much room to expand that there's no need for anything at the moment. I think this kind of brand that has permission to do a lot more because of the category that we have created, which is an all infused, it has the fresh, it has so much going for the brand that I think, honestly, we have the permission to do more. But again, I think it's better to go slowly because sometimes when you run too fast, you can trip. I'd rather walk mm-hmm. and then, you know, continue walking. Get safely and to the destination. I think it's no rush where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for I talking. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Loose Threads podcast. You can read full transcripts of the podcast and join the newsletter at loosethreads.com. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes. We always appreciate it. And thanks to George Drake Jr. for editing this episode. We have a great roster of upcoming guests, including Z Chun of Uprise Art and Zach Normandin of Dirty Lemon. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.